Welcome to Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Caroline Rosen. She's president of Tales of the Cocktail. We're really happy to have you here today, Caroline. Liz, I'm so excited. Thanks for having me on. There's so much going on right now in the world. We're all in quarantine, but also it means that bars, almost virtually every bar around the country is closed. That's got to mean a lot. And also it means that there's no tales this year. So tell us about that. How'd you come to that decision? Yeah, so we are going to be doing a digital tales this year. So, you know, there won't be the gathering that we've grown accustomed to over the last 18 years here in New Orleans, but we are excited to create that community as best we can online. And I think that so many, so many groups that have these wonderful gatherings are trying to do that. So we're excited. We're going to still have it the same week in July. They're going to be wonderful education uh, seminars. There's going to be activations with our brands. We're also going to be celebrating our Spirited Awards, as well as Dame Hall of Fame. So we are doing what we can to recreate that. And it was so funny because just last night we were taking a, a walk with our dog, Ginger. And, you know, I just wanted to video the city. I think people just want to see it. People love New Orleans so much that I've already started thinking of fun ways that we can video and bring that to life during Tales. Oh, well, that that's good. At least uh, it you might even think of new things that you hadn't thought of before if we can find a silver lining somewhere. I know. I mean, I think that that actually is the silver lining of this is creative people continue to create and continue to amaze me. And I'm very lucky to have not only an an amazing creative team, but these committees. We have our grants committee and our education committee, our spirited awards committee, and these are the best and the brightest in the industry. And they love tales and they love this community. And so it's been really interesting to hear their feedback and see what we can put together. So it also means that some of your international projects that had been, for example, going on in Puerto Rico and other places, also are put on hold. What's going on with those? Yeah, so we were supposed to have our tails on tour in San Juan, Puerto Rico, and we were actually one of the first um, first festivals to cancel around that. I mean, it was in that first wave. We were by no means the first, but, you know, at this point in time, we We've just canceled our our Tales on Tour. We were lucky enough to go there for one year and be able to support that community and really find friendships. So I think at this point in time, I don't even know what Tales on Tour is going to (laughs) look like moving forward. So it's tough. But, you know, the beautiful thing about podcasts and Zoom calls and all of this is we've actually been able to stay in great touch with so many of our international friends and community members. So that's been great. I think so. And, you know, who knows in the future, even when you resume actual meetings in person, you may now have a Zoom component or something like that. That may be a residual to all of this. I know. And we were just talking about this offline, but I think, and Liz, you're going to be the perfect person to, to help, you know, navigate this is I would love to chat in a year from now and say, what, came out of this crisis as we look at the way that we eat and drink and what 
becomes that new normal, you know? I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting, and I, I feel like we're going to have to get together a year from today and I want to hear all, all of your thoughts. I know that you're already cataloging them in your mind. I can just see, I can just see it in your face. But I think it's going to be a, a true turning point. It's going to be something that will live on in our history. Yes, this is a transformative time. It really, really is. And in some ways, we're lucky to be alive during this time and be able to at least begin to see some of the changes that will be wrought by this. It's quite interesting. I think what is... I think what I'm interested to find out is when we're able to gather again, there's just something about that. You know, it's like everything that you do digitally, but like what are those key components and what is it going to look like? I think it's going to be really interesting. Like will you still go to a bar if you still have to be six feet apart? Exactly. And that's going to make you wonder what is the meaning of a bar to begin with? What do I get out of being in the bar? I mean – you know, we are very fortunate to live right outside the French Quarter in the Musée uh, Rochon, and it's right ne- down the street from our bar. And <clears throat> we go to our bar at least four nights a week, and it's sometimes we go in and we don't even get a drink. I mean, our dog is off the leash, which is, I'm sure, a faux pas, but she's <laughs> wonderful. Her, she's ginger. She's the exception. And we walk by it every day, and we gather there, and I, I just... it. It is such a part of our what we do. Uh, we have neighbors that sit outside on every Friday, and we eat Red's crawfish, and he pulls up, and we jambalaya, and I just, I miss it. But I, again, like, what is that going to look like, especially as we look at restaurants opening up? I mean, they're in the same spot. That's right. And it's also true that what we experience here in New Orleans because of different kinds of open container laws and things like that is really different from other places where you have to be in the bar to drink and you can't do things on the sidewalk in the same way. And so I don't even think New Orleans is going to be the measure of most of the country. I mean, it's one of the reasons why people love to come here, but it's going to be its own little microcosm. And then the rest of the country is going to be something else. Yeah. Definitely. And that's how I think we kind of have always been with most things. No, I think that's true. I definitely (laughs) think that's true. Yes. But, you know, I saw the other day someone, I guess it was yesterday, you know, time is just on a different plane these days. But I don't know if you saw that article that was talking about, I think it was in Denmark, but it could have been Ohio again. I need more coffee this morning. But it was talking about how certain cities were opening up or closing down roads. So they could have more outdoor dining and someone had sent it to me and I was like, wouldn't that be a great idea for New Orleans? And I was like, hell no, it's about to be hot as hell. <laughs> <laughs> we need AC. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's do. a great idea. But <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work everywhere. Right. We're a big country with a yeah. lot of different kinds of geography. That's really true. So I also think that right now people are drinking more. And whether it's out of boredom or stress or who yeah. knows who knows what, but I think it's an interesting irony that at a time when bars are closed, people are actually drinking more, <laughs> and that that's got to mean something to the liquor companies, yeah. many of whom I think really 
marketed to a great extent to bartenders. Right. And now seeing that maybe grocery stores or ABC stores is the place to turn their marketing. Yeah, and, and Tails, I mean, the beautiful thing about Tails is that we are geared towards the bartender. And so, you know, you call that the trade. And that's, you know, traditionally been 80, 85, 90% of what we focused on. And I think it'll be interesting. We definitely need to take care of those individuals that have worked so hard and made this their passion but I think it's also time to open up the door to consumers and get them excited. I, did you see Tucci when he did his cocktail making? His I think he made a Negroni. Did you see no, that? No, I didn't see it. <laughs> so, was it on YouTube? Or? Yeah, he did it on his social media. But it was so funny because, you know, half of my friends on social media are of the industry. And the other half are just, you know regular folks like us. And Tucci totally messed it up. I mean, he did not do anything <laughs> right. And it was so funny, though, because it started a conversation with so many people in the industry, explaining to people out of the industry, like, this is this is actually what he meant. He didn't make a Negroni. Right? <laughs> but I think that that's cool. Because for me, you know, when I really came into the spirits industry, it was it was tough because I think that there is some like cooking has, has, you know, been publicized so much and it's easier, but I think cocktails sometimes intimidate people, especially when they're busy in their home. And I hope that over this quarantining, I think people are able to get a little bit creative at home and make some of their own drinks. And if not, they're at least watching Tucci make funny (laughs) ones. So we're talking about it at least. Well, I think too, that sometimes people are afraid they don't have the right equipment to make a cocktail and think that it's all about the equipment and not just mixing it up. Right. And and doing things the way it tastes good to them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be really, really interesting to see what the bar trends are. We were talking about that because, you know, I, I get asked a lot, like, what are the bar trends? And I obviously don't own a bar. I'm not a bartender, but I'm lucky to have so many dear friends and committee members that we poll and and really find that information. And someone asked me the other day and I was like, I have no idea, (laughs) but I'm interested. Like I'll let you know, like we're not to that point yet. We're still trying to figure out how to open and make sure places can open up, but it'll be an interesting year to see what trends come out of this. So are you involved in any way in any of the conversations about safely reopening bars? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a group of restaurant owners and bar owners here in New Orleans that we're emailing all the time and once a day, and people have been sending us those conversations. Our board member, Neil Bodenheimer, has been working really closely with the city and state to lobby for safe reopening. So I'm definitely in those conversations, and I think it's tough. I mean, what do you think it's going to look like? You know, our our first phase mm-hmm. is is opening up. I'm not exactly sure when we're airing that, but opening up this weekend, May 5th, I guess May 16th is the day that it can happen. And that's not for bars, though. That's for restaurants. Mm-hmm. It's the 20%. And I think it's going to be tough. I think we're going to see a lot of places stay closed or continue to do curbside and wait for that second phase because, you know, just at bare minimum, like, how do you make the numbers work? Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's really true. And just being open, but being a, a losing money-making proposition yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, it's, it's, 
such an interesting time. <laughs> Just every time we start thinking about it, it's really funny. My lovely chief of staff, Eileen, I, I will start thinking too far in advance. And, you know, what we've instituted is the 30, 60, 90. Like we need to evaluate things on a 30, 60, and 90 day outlook because if you get much past that, I mean, we, we have plans and ideas and hopes and dreams, but it's just changing so quickly that I just try to frame it in that 30, 60, 90. And so we don't drive ourselves crazy. <laughs> no, no, it, it's true because if you, if you plan on something that would happen in 90 days and it doesn't happen, it's really devastating because it just... Yeah. It just craters your whole plan. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the things when we decided to keep tails on the date it was and, you know, do this digitally. We just said if, if we move it, we might have to move it again. We might have to move it again. And a huge part of that tails week is not only the education, but it's also acknowledging through our spirited awards, the hard work of so many bartenders and brands and bars and bar owners. And I think that that's, it's obviously touchy. Having awards during a pandemic is something that you have to really be thoughtful about. And, but I think it's important. And that's the decision we came to. Are you going to have any special awards that reflect the pandemic? No, that is actually a great question. And that was raised earlier this week. There needs to be a moment because as we look at it, we're already starting to see some of the classic you know, some classic bars in New York that aren't going to reopen. And so there's got to be a moment for, there's got to be something. So we don't have it planned yet, but I definitely, I mean, we have to do something. Yeah. I think it's, it's really going to be amazing. We were talking before about the fact that, and once again, this isn't really necessarily about New Orleans. It's just about the country in general. I would say if you're starting to drink at home, and uh, you're drinking a beer or a glass of wine or making a punch or a cocktail or whatever, it's probably a lot less expensive to do it at home than what you would pay to do it in a restaurant or a bar. Right. And this is a long enough period for people to change habits. This isn't like three days and let's go back to what we were doing before. This is a long period. People feel threatened in many yep. health ways and things like that. So they're, they're rethinking everything. And I wonder what it's going to mean to people to stop in at a, at a bar, even if it's a neighborhood bar where they saw friends and things like that, and say, I don't want to spend $8 on this beer when I can buy it at the grocery store and spend a dollar and a quarter on a beer. And I've gotten used to not being at this bar because now I'm at home doing right. this other thing. And what what is that going to mean? How much is money and the, the added value from the bar because you're paying for a bartender, you're paying for a space, mm-hmm. you're paying for all of that in your drink. Right. If you decide, well, I don't need that now because I can do that at home. And, you know, let's say you missed your favorite whatever, and by this time you've had enough time to figure out how to get it at home, you know? So it's not as though, well, how am I going to do this at home? I can't, so I have to go back to the bar because that's where they do it. Right. You 
you may have reinvented it in your own way as Stanley Tucci reinvented the Negroni. <laughs> and so I, I just, I wonder whether we're going to see that yeah. come into play at all. You know, I, I think the same, it's, it's a great question. And I think the same question could be asked for food as well as we look at that. I think for both instances, it, it comes down to hospitality and, and individuals. I mean, I think, you know, what I, I've been telling my team is, as we, you know, start to roll out some of these assets for digital tales this year is we have to be so understanding and kind with each person's situation, which I think is going to, you can't market like you used to, right? right? Like, you know, when we were younger, there were like ladies nights and all that. I mean, to get people to draw people in, I think drawing people into your establishment will have to be completely different. And then once you get there, it's going to be that hospitality. And making people feel safe. Yeah. Hospitality and safe. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I, I think it'll be interesting. I mean, I think that it's an opportunity for for bars to, I mean, almost get back to basics and make those wonderful, delicious, simple, great drinks. And, you know, I think price points will have to be looked at across the board. I mean, it's just going to be wild. I think so, too. It's going to be just an, an invention of something new. Yeah. I really believe that something new is going yeah. to come out of this, and it's going to be impossible for us to know what it is. I, I think know. it's just going to evolve. And because I also believe that bars will open gradually, right? and so then you're going to have the ones that can do that mm-hmm. and the ones who decide, it's just not worth it. And so what is that going to mean? I, I just think that the changes yeah. are just enormous. I think, for example, in food, we're going to see a tremendous rise in the number of restaurants that have decided that takeout is actually viable. Yeah. Uh, really fine dining takeout. Right, right. And where that's going to be an, a real option and not necessarily something that only this certain level does, but this higher level doesn't do that. And yeah. I think that's going to be something really big. And I do believe that takeout and delivery was a growing trend. Right. But this accelerated it enormously. Oh and good thing some infrastructure was already in place because right. there are probably people who wouldn't be eating <laughs> if they didn't so have that access to that. But yeah. it it's a big decision to decide this is what I want to do. It's not the same experience. It really isn't. No, it's not. It's, you know, I, I was joking on tomorrow is actually uh, my husband and I, it's our 10-year anniversary. Oh, Happy anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know where those 10 years went, but here we are. And um, I said to him, I said, Brent, you know, on Saturday, what, like, should we try to find a place and go? I mean, obviously be safe. And I know a lot of places aren't going to be open. And he just said, I don't, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. Like, I I want my first experience back, and especially on our anniversary, like, for it to be lovely. And if people are, I think what we as a community have to do is, it's going to be tough to get over that initial shock and being scared Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. I think that everyone's just scared and worried and no one wants to do the wrong thing but someone's going to do something wrong I mean not out of malice I believe but it was interesting because that is for as long as I've known that man you know we've gone out and we've had drinks and and there's an opportunity that we could and we're not 
Yes. So yes. I think that, you know, I think that as consumers of bars and restaurants, we need to be really thoughtful with them because they're they're trying to provide that experience. But I think that on the flip side, they've got to be understanding that people don't want to, they might not come out right away. <laughs> it's just a, it's an evolution of things. No, it really is. I'm particularly interested in bars because my son is a comedian and he performs a lot in yeah. bars. And of course, this has shut down the opportunity for performance live performance especially. Right. There's lots on YouTube right now. But other than that, you know, it's really something that it's almost impossible because uh, unless you're like on the street corner and people are just walking by, there's really no way to do live performance. And yeah. so he's really interested also in bars opening simply because it represents an opportunity for him because making your performance to dead space, basically, <laughs> or dead air, is just not the same as no. having people. Yeah. And uh, so that's something that he's really watching. It's uh, it's something that I think we're going to just really be surprised at what, what happens. So I, and again, you know, take this for with an absolute grain of salt. I was um, chatting with some of our friends that are bar owners in New York, and I think the unofficial word is it's looking like they're going to be closed till September. Oh, my goodness. And so at least that was, you know, and, and it's I saw David Chang. He just posted before this is, is shutting down a couple of his places. And it's like, what, what do you do with these spaces? Like, how do you create? There's just something about human interaction that you can't do digitally. Right. And our world especially just New Orleans alone, it's food, beverage, and music. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like all of those things need that. And so it's the good stuff that's kept, you know, we're in all, we're in food and music and entertaining, uh, not for the money. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> None of us are, uh, are doing this, but it's because we love it and we love the community and we love the people and we love the history of it and how it changes. But it's those conversations, and I think that, you know, when we when we lose the spaces, when we lose the bar room, when we lose the dining room, when we lose that, like, what else, like, what else are we losing? No, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, I think in New Orleans it's a little bit different because we're not a place that has to survive on just locals doing mm-hmm. something because we have so much tourism. And I'm presuming that eventually tourism will return. Right. It may be different, but I do think that it will return. And so if you're from out of town, you're going to have to eat out. You're going to have to go to a bar if you want to drink. Yeah. Because you don't have a kitchen or whatever. So I, I do think we're in a different position. But I really worry about places that rely mostly on locals to return again and again, and how is that going to work? Well, I, I, that and making it until you know, <gasps> right. people can come back. So Neil Bodenheimer, who uh, is the owner of Cure and Canaan Table, Cure is obviously uptown on Ferret Street, James Beard Award-winning bar, wonderful, and it's a local's, you know, it, it, it obviously attracts a ton of tourists, Um 
But Canaan Table in the French Quarter down on Decatur has been primarily driven. It's in the French Quarter. Right. A tourist, and I think it's changing your business plan. But how do you change a business plan when you, you know, you're looking at 20 or 50%? That, and that's where it starts to get complicated. So we're, we're fortunate that so many people, I mean, you know, so many people that we know are so thoughtful and so creative that hopefully they'll, they'll figure it out. But it's just interesting. Well, I'm, I, you know, I, in my imagination, you know how right now you go to the grocery store and a lot of times there's a plexiglass shield yeah. in front of the checkout person. And I'm just thinking, is that going to be what happens in a bar? That there's some kind of a shield between you and the bartender and the bar, the drinks come out from under this plexiglass thing. The, even that, and of course we don't touch each other right yeah. now. And just what is that going to mean? That's so funny. We had our friend uh, Corbett Scott, who's an amazing architect here in town. Um, socially, he lives on our street, and we said so we were having a socially distant drink on the front porch yesterday. And I was asking about his projects, and he does residential as, as well as um, a lot of businesses. And he has a he has a restaurant bar under project, and it had started before all of this. And I asked him, "Are people starting?" to design differently? Like, is it going to affect architecture? And he said, no, not yet. They're just trying to get this one open. Like, they're they're, they're turning. But I, I think it's a conversation now. Oh, I, I mean, definitely think so, yeah. And I think it'll be interesting to see the way it, it this pandemic also, you know, manifests itself with our architecture and the way that we, the world literally looks to us. It's, I, it's, it's wild. Well, you, you know, if you look at the, the restaurants and some of the bars from the 20s and 30s that had actual walls around each table, oh, and a lot of speakeasies did this, and a lot of uh, places had this so that you could have private things. It was like a private room, and so if you were with somebody else's wife or husband <laughs> or whatever, nobody could see it. Um, all these reasons why you needed privacy. <laughs> I wonder whether that will be something that could return so yeah. that there's a sense of isolation, even though you're in a big open space. And I've seen some restaurants getting prepared to reopen in places where that's now being allowed with clear shower curtains hung <sighs> between the tables so that even though you can still see through them, there's a yeah. sense that there's a barrier, which is kind of like the plexiglass thing that yeah. I'm thinking of. But that, of course, represents a barrier, whether it's see-through or not, you're right. aware of the barrier. Well, it may give you a sense of security for a while, but it's going to change your behavior. Yeah. Because I know at Galatoire's, for example. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There are many a times when I've been there with my husband and he's gotten up to go to the men's room or something. And the people at the next table will say, come sit with us. Bring your drink yeah. over here until he gets back. So you're not alone <laughs> at the table. Well, that's not going to happen. And that's the kind of thing that I expect to happen at a restaurant. Oh, my God, Liz. Especially Galatoire's. <laughs> I had not even thought about Galatoire's Friday lunch until you said that. Like, I, I, I don't, and for people that are listening, Friday lunch is a New Orleans tradition, but especially at Galatoire's, you go there on a Friday lunch, and you can stay. For table. dinner. <laughs> yes, we call it playing through. <laughs> when you go for lunch and you stay for dinner, the table's yours. There's no reservations. You stand in line. 
um, and you dress up and, and you literally go there to celebrate anything and everything. And it is, you know, there are brass bands that walk through and people are hugging. And, and you have your own waiter yeah. that knows what you want so that by the time you get to your table, your drink is on the yeah. table. Oh, my God, Liz, I had not even thought about Galatoire's. That's going to take a minute. <laughs> but it, it, it's true. Yeah. Just that sense of all being together is going to be shattered. Yeah. I think it's, you know, oh, gosh, we, we need to ask Melvin what he's planning on doing. <laughs> <laughs> because usually when things open back up, you're like, I want to be there. Like, I want to be there on that opening day of Friday lunch at Galatoire's. Like, that is after Katrina. I remember that we were able to get a reservation for lunch at Commander's oh. for the first time they opened up. And we still have the menu, and Chef Tori had signed it. And it's like, you wanted to be there and show up. I mean, that's just what we do. And I, it's just weird. <laughs> because it is. Do you want to be at the first Galatoire's lunch? I, yes, I still do. I, I want to be supportive, but I think it's... Also, people don't know how to, like, we don't know the new social rules because right. they're still changing and they're being made. And there's just, there's centuries of, or hundreds of years of us knowing what Galatoire's, you know, it's been, how long has Galatoire's been around? At least a hundred years. years yeah. and something, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's something that you've known and now all the rules have changed. But maybe that's in some places for the best. And I understand that. I'm not saying the old world was perfect by any means, but Friday, Galatoire's, Galatoire's lunch. If anyone has any suggestions on what that should look like, I'm I'm willing to hear. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Caroline, so very much. I want to thank all of you for joining me today. You're listening to Tip of the Tongue. We're part of the Nitty Grits Network of the National Food and Beverage Foundation with other great podcasts like The Sustainable Table, hosted by Brent Rosen. Come visit us at our studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. You can find us and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening. <music>